0: Welcome to NFP's Insights from the Experts podcast. Each episode showcases timely expertise and perspective from members of the NFP community, delivering information, analysis, and solutions that address our clients' most significant challenges.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Benefits Compliance podcast. My name is Suzanne Spradley, and I'm here with my colleague, Chase Cannon. We are attorneys for NFP. Um, with the Benefits Compliance Department. And we are here to bring you our podcast and bring you up today and on all the issues that uh, that touch your health plans. Today, we're going to dig in a bit more on the PCOR Institute and the associated PCOR fees. I know that's an exciting topic for you. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Um, but it is an old ACA provision that has come back to life recently. So Chase, um, why don't you tell us about that PCOR Institute?
0: Yeah, we always talk about the PCOR fee and that's what uh, most employers have to deal with. But I wanted to talk a little bit more and paint a better picture of what the PCOR Institute is all about. Uh, first of all, PCOR or pcor you'll hear the PCOR-E with the I on the end there as well, that stands for the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute. This goes back to the ACA or the Affordable Care Act uh, back in 2010. That law was enacted and established this nonprofit entity to help support clinical effectiveness research. Uh, it's really directed towards patients, clinicians, purchasers, and policymakers in making informed health decisions. The Institute claims to do this by advancing the quality and relevance of evidence-based medicine through the synthesis and dissemination of comparative clinical effectiveness research findings. Wow.
1: So that, that's a mouthful.
0: That is a mouthful. And I have wanted to cite that directly. It comes from the regulations, and it's also outlined in more detail on the, on the PCOR website which for the first time, in you know, a long time anyway, I really dug into. Um, if you want to learn more, the web address is PCORI.org. That's P-C-O-R-I iorg org. And there's a lot of information about the mission, the purpose of the institute, the board of directors, the management of it. Um, so high level information. But as you click through there, you can really get an idea of the projects they are working on. And that's really the, the important part of this. Um, The website says it maintains a robust portfolio of patient-centered outcomes research that addresses a variety of high priority conditions and topics. Uh, Scrolling through those conditions and topics, it uh, addresses things like arthritis, asthma, cancer, cardiovascular disease, children's health, dementia and cognitive impairment, diabetes, kidney disease, men's and women's health, mental and behavioral health, minority mental health, multiple sclerosis, obesity, pain care and opioids and other topics. So I just wanna give you a flavor of what's out there.
1: Right, a lot of diagnosis uh, areas that they're delving into. And I know it's been an issue that you look across our country and you have various treatments for the same diagnosis. Um, various costs, various outcomes. And so this seems like really important information. So right. as you're digging into this more, is there information about the specific studies that they're looking at, the treatments, uh, the care, the outcomes, What what's in there?
0: Yeah. So I clicked on the diabetes topic uh, to really see what's in there. And, and the page starts off with a spotlight portion that outlines diabetes at a high level. For example, on this page, it says that you know, 34 million Americans have diabetes, that it's the number seven cause of death in America, and that one in four Americans uh, have diabetes and don't even know it. Wow. I did not realize that. Right. So right away, you're getting some good information, right? Uh, It outlines the high-level issue and sort of identifies it as a problem. And then it says, well, to address this problem, uh, PCORI has funded 35 comparative clinical effectiveness research studies to help patients and those who care for them to make better informed decisions about their options for preventing and treating diabetes. So for just diabetes alone, there's 35 different studies. That's right. So the page then outlines those studies and the results and tries to answer some of the more common questions uh, that may come about from patients, caregivers, and clinicians uh, with respect to diabetes treatment. So some of the questions it poses on there that's attempting to answer through these studies include things like, uh, the treatment plan recommended for my son's type 1 diabetes isn't something we can easily work into our schedules. Can my son safely monitor his diabetes and stay healthy if we tailor the plan to better fit our lifestyle? Or another example of a question on the website um, saying, I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Should I get a health coach, read more about diabetes care, or go to the doctor more often? So it's trying to get down to the practical issues someone might be facing on these different types of illnesses or conditions, and then to provide information on the best treatment approaches, again, through these studies. As far as an example of the actual study, the diabetes page goes into one study called the PCORnet Bariatric Study, and that studies uh, outcomes among patients who undergo common weight loss surgeries, such as bariatric surgery and the outcomes on diabetes remission among patients who underwent gastric bypass and gastric sleeve surgeries. Another article uh, details the five-year outcomes of patients who underwent either gastric bypass or adjustable banding, and found that gastric bypass patients were significantly more likely than gastric sleep patients to end up back in the hospital in the years following surgery.
1: Certainly some information I would want to know if I was in that category.
0: And as we think back to that list that I outlined, it seems like there's almost everybody in the country probably has or knows somebody with one of those conditions. So so if you think back to one purpose of the AC was to try to make healthcare more accessible and affordable, and perhaps to help make it more transparent, I feel like PCOR Institute is maybe one of the uh, cogs in that wheel, really to do some research, help explain the outcomes, and trying to get that all in one place and to have it serve as a resource to individuals who are maybe confused or are looking for better information. At least that's the idea. Now, for someone like me, who's been in the industry and preaching to employers on how to pay the fees, this is my first real dive into the website. So I don't know how many Americans are really out there digesting this information. I don't know how many Americans are really even aware of it.
1: I mean, that's, I think that's the real challenge is I, I imagine a lot of people are not aware that that information is out there. And it's only helpful if it's disseminated broadly. So it is something that we should um, make more aware of not only individuals, but also policymakers and providers. Right. Um, does it go into anything else on the page besides what you mentioned so far?
0: Yeah. So it goes into those different studies. Each has their own write up or takeaway to help people who may be interested uh, there were also a few study spotlights that were interesting at the bottom of the page. Um, for, one was an example of how doctors have tailored their treatment process based on a tailoring study, which shows that uh, data from large clinical studies can provide not just the average effect of a treatment, as most studies do now, but indicates uh, which patients are likely to benefit or not. Um, another example is a study on evaluating whether utilizing a system of text message reminders alone versus support from a community health worker alone, or both together would be the most effective in improving healthy behaviors. Uh, This study was focused on Medicaid recipients with diabetes.
1: Yeah, it does seem like tailoring is becoming a hot topic because you see that also with pharmaceuticals and and, uh, your genetic makeup. So it does, it seems like that there's a trend
0: in that. So the fact that they're picking up on that as well is important. Right, and to circle back to sort of the legal side of it, policymakers are a bit of, that was another reason this institute was established. I don't know if lawmakers are looking at this institute's work, uh, but perhaps some of this information moves from just awareness into actual law or regulation, implementing it in a way that eventually becomes a standard or law and how health plans, carriers, employers are required to operate and administer their plans. We'll have to see on that, obviously.
1: Right, right. I know initially they said that it would not result in mandated coverages, Mm -hmm. but it was uh, providing helpful information, but you never know how it will end up being utilized. Um, but it's still helpful, nonetheless, to know what this fee is going towards, and and having a better understanding of what the money is uh, is being used for. So. All of that's interesting background. We know that this, as you said, started with the enactment of the ACA. So why is it relevant today? What's what's happening today in June of 2020 that's making this topic relevant today?
0: Right. So the information has been building out there for the Institute. Um, the reason we're talking about it relates back to the fee, which is there to fund the Institute. So part of the challenge over the last 10 years has been how to pay this fee and the timing of it. Right. It all goes back to this October 1st date. And so the fee came into effect for plan years ending on or after October 1st of 2010. And that created this divide on uh, when to pay it and how much to pay. Right. It wasn't lined up cleanly with just a calendar year plan. Right. Um, So employers had to pay a fee by July 31st of the following year. In that way, it's set up like some other fees or or filings. Uh, But the dollar amount was also adjusted each year. And that would also depend on whether your plan year ended on or before October 1st of the year. So that created a lot of confusion here. Uh, But getting to more recent developments is uh, back at the end of 2019, Congress decided to re-up on the PCOR fee for another 10 years. We were so close. We were so close. Uh, In fact, calendar year plans thought they were done because they cycled off last year. Uh, Plan years ending on or after October 1st of 2019. The fee, as originally written, would have expired, Uh, but Congress swept in, said, we're going to re-up here for another 10 years. That was uh, the big deal that employers kind of got used to that, but then they had also been waiting for the fee amount adjustment from the IRS, and that's what just came out yesterday, the IRS saying, uh, we're going to adjust that fee upwards. It will be $2.54 per covered life. That's up from $2.45 for the prior period. So for... Plan years that ended in October, November, December, which would include calendar year plans, they now know the amount that they're supposed to pay by July 31st of 2020. Again, that's $2.54 a covered life.
1: And those are plan years ending, not beginning, when you say October, November, December.
0: That's right. So um, again, another reason this has been confusing for employers is usually you're talking about the plan year start date. And in some of our charts, we've tried to go with the start date, even though The amount and the filing date are driven by the end of the planned year end date.
1: So the amount uh, changed slightly. Did anything else change with regard to the calculation, the form, the processing?
0: Yep, nothing else really changed. Um, Employers can still rely on the same methods for calculating the fee. There's uh, four methods they can use. Uh, Actual counts, they can look at a snapshot, a snapshot factor, or they can go off of a Form 5500 count most employers that have had to pay this are familiar with those now. There's nothing that's changed with respect to the process. It's uh, filed and paid via Form 720. That's an IRS form that actually relates to quarterly excise taxes. Everything else stays the same from the perspective of calculating the fee, the process of paying the fee. Form 720 has not yet been updated with the $2.54 amount. So we're waiting for that to be finalized. But other than that, would be business as usual just for another 10 years with the PCOR.
1: Okay. And you say business as usual, but as as we know, business is not usual (laughs) right now with COVID-19. So you say the next date for filing is July 31st. Is there any word that COVID-19 could impact that filing date?
0: Yeah, we can't get through a podcast these days without COVID. Uh, No changes as of now, though, with respect to the filing date. We've seen some other date delays and extensions for plan-related filings and notices, but nothing here. We'll keep watching, though. You never know.
1: And we have, on listening to our podcast, both fully insured employers and self-insured pl- employers, I'm sure they're all used to to this one way or the other, either paying it or not paying it over the last uh, nine years. But just to confirm, um, does this apply to both fully insured and self-insured?
0: Yeah. So for fully insured plans, the carrier is on the hook. They're going to file and pay this. For self-insured employers, uh, including those with HRAs, the the employer's on the hook. So mm-hmm. sometimes the HRA gets forgotten Even if you have a fully insured medical plan, but you are sponsoring an HRA to supplement that or it's integrated with the plan, you will have to pay the PCOR fee on the HRA. The uh, one caveat there is that you can use the number of employees enrolled in the HRA rather than the total number of covered lives. So you can disregard dependents if you're just calculating it, calculating the fee on the HRA. Good to good to know. At least there's some, some relief there. Right.
1: Um, and one of the questions we always get from employers is, what if I have missed a filing? So let's say, um, are there penalties if I don't pay it? What about if I've missed it in prior years? What do I do about that?
0: Yeah. So we do get this question quite a bit. If uh, At a high level, there are no specific penalties under the ACA, but there is a general failure penalty under the ACA that is $100 per day per individual. Um, Further, because the PCOR fee is a tax, uh, failure to timely pay in a timely manner could result in interest and tax penalties, and it can be considered a debt owed to the federal government which means the federal debt collection rules could apply.
1: Never a good position to be in.
0: No, that's not a fun position. But think of it similar to as any other tax, including our individual taxes due to the VR1040s, right? If we don't pay that, the IRS can always assess interest and penalties and could go after that debt collection process. Uh, as far as past years and unpaid PCOR fees, uh, there's no specific guidance on how to correct this other than, uh, like any other tax form or payment, get it done as soon as possible, The IRS website has forms from prior years to use and the dollar amounts for the PCORM in prior years. So go ahead and get that filed and paid as soon as you can. Based on those, you can file them one-off or file them all together. If it's a correction, that would be a little bit different. You filed something already. Uh, The IRS does have some guidance saying that if you have to correct either an underpayment or an overpayment, that you would do that via Form 720X. That's an amended federal excise tax return on a quarterly basis. So you would just file that with the corrections. That could be an underpayment or an overpayment. You may be getting money back. But again, if you have not filed in previous years, the correct thing to do is file the original Form 720 not an amended form. Got
1: it. Okay, well thank you. And and you know that was very helpful information in the beginning with about the the institute itself and what their what those the money that is being paid in is being used for. It's also helpful for self-funded employers to have access to that information and be right. aware of it because there could, could be some very relevant information in there as it relates to their plan and for individuals themselves. They may want to check it out and see if there's some helpful information because there's a broad range of diagnosis related studies that are going on. Um, So thank you for all of that. I'm glad that our employers do um, can proceed now with their calculation now that they have the dollar amount, even if the form has not yet been updated. But we will certainly link to that form when it does get information, when it does get updated. Um, So with that, we uh, like to close it out by saying that's a wrap. That's a wrap. Thank you for joining us today.